Today on Power Tips Unscripted, we talk to Jen Cornell, an attorney at the Nyland Johnson Lewis Law Firm in Minneapolis. She's going to talk to us about things you've got to consider before you hire, fire, or discipline an employee. All that and more on today's episode. You want answers? Put that coffee down. You talking to me? Hi, I'm Victoria Downing, and we're here at Power Tips Unscripted, where we talk about tips, tactics, and techniques to help you build a strong, profitable remodeling company. You know, Mark, I'm really excited about Mark Harari here is my co-host. Hey, Mark. Hello. Um, I'm excited about this guest today because I think that she is going to share some information that we don't normally even think about. It's so pushed to the back, but yet it's so important for the long-term success of all of our small businesses. Yeah, I'm eager to hear what she has to say because I never would have thought about anything about this. Just You kind of just hire, fire and move on forward. Do what you want to do and yeah. not really think a whole lot about it. So today again, we have with us Jen Cornell. She's an attorney at Nyland Johnson Lewis in Minneapolis. She represents comp- companies in litigations involving employees that might be lawsuits or charges brought to government agencies and investigations from government auditors. And we all know that we don't want that to happen. Jen specializes <laughs> in preventative workplace audits and policy implementation, such as preparing employee handbooks, wage and hour audits, and immigration compliance. Also a very hot topic for us right now. Welcome, Jen. Hi. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Certainly. You know, and as I was saying before, I think people only think about employment law when they're slapped in the face with something that forces the issue. Do you find that to be the case? Oh, yeah, that's absolutely true. The number of times I, I have a company call me out of the blue um, with an issue, uh, either a former employee or sometimes a current employee, and they're they're talking to a lawyer for the first time, and they, they thought they had the situation handled or they had no idea what the situation even was before the, before the lawyer got involved. That is ex- incredibly common. So that's why I'm really excited to be able to talk to your folks today to try to help put some ideas in their heads about ways to prevent that surprise lawsuit from showing up on their door. So, you know, when you're working with clients, do you tend to work with companies in the size of the, the, most of our listeners in that 500000 to $20 million range? Is that a, a sweet spot for you in your work? It is. I mean, it's, it's you know, most, most, small, most businesses in the United States are small businesses. So I work with employers of all different sizes. I do work with some larger national Employers and the benefit there is that I I have a really good sense of state laws around the country from working with employers have, that have employees in every state. So, and this is what's so complicated about employment law is that you've got federal laws that are passed by the federal government that apply to all employers, and then you've got every state has their own specific mm-hmm. laws as well. So you can be you could be practicing you know working in your in your state and then you decide to pick up a remodeling job in the neighboring state and all of a sudden there's a whole new panoply of laws that you never even thought of that apply to the work that you're doing in that other state so I, I work a lot with small employers and my work with national empl- employers actually informs my work with small employers all right very cool so what are some of the main risks that these companies uh, face when they're dealing with employment law well I think I mean, there's, there are so many things. I think the main thing that I'd like for your listeners to think about is that there are employment laws that kick in if you only have one single employee. So if you don't have to be a big employer to have to think about how can we prevent, sort of um, protect your company from a lawsuit or a charge with the government agency. So take, for example, 
uh, wage and hour laws. The, um, the Fair Labor Standards Act, which is the federal law, it applies as soon as you have one single employee. Wow. So you, if you don't know anything, if you've never heard about that law, you may not be complying with it, and your single employee can put you at risk. Now, there's things, there are ways you can, there, some of it is very simple. Pay them minimum wage. Pay them overtime if they're owed overtime. So it's not rocket science, but it is, if you're not thinking about it, you can make, you can make some uh, mistakes that can be costly. Um, part of the reason is that the most laws have a statute of limitations that goes back two or three years. So if you have, uh, if you, if you haven't been paying somebody appropriately, you might have three years worth of lot back liability. Oh boy. And the penalties can double and sometimes triple. So if you owe somebody $10, if, if they sue you, you actually owe them 20 to $30. Multiply that even over five to ten employees, and your risk can be very, very large. Oh my gosh, I can see so. Jeez, oh Pete. All right, so one of the things that comes up a lot with our folks, obviously, because they use a lot of subcontractors naturally in the trades and mechanicals and that sort of thing, but a lot of folks will start out with independent contractors as carpenters as well, and they slowly start to seep into the company. And where's the line? Well, if I, if I could draw that line for you, I wouldn't have very much work to do because it's, uh, that so many people trip on that particular line. And in reality, there isn't just a magical line. It's not, it's not that you can just say this is an independent contractor, call them an independent contractor. Maybe you have a written agreement where you guys agree that they're an independent contractor. The way that courts look at it is it's called a totality of the circumstances test, which is one of those things lawyers love to say that really doesn't mean anything uh, to a lay person. But it sounds really uh, good. It, really, it does sound really good, doesn't it? Um, but it makes it really hard to know if what you've got is an employee or uh, an independent contractor. So here's, I mean, a couple tips. If you're not sure, if you think you might have somebody that may be an employee, you're better off treating them as an employee because you won't incur any liability if you err to that side. Um, if you have somebody that's an independent contractor, courts are going to, the way the court is going to look at, you're going to find out that they don't think they're an independent contractor when they file a workers' comp claim or they file an unemployment claim. Mm. That's usually when it sucks for small employers. Is you thought everything was fine and dandy. Then you said, hey, I don't have any more work for you. Next thing you know, they filed an unemployment claim, and you're like, wait, you're an independent contractor. When that happens, it is your burden as the employer to prove that they were not an employee. They get a presumption of being an employee oh. if they file a workers' comp claim or an unemployment claim. So the things that a court will look at are going to be things like how much did you control their work? So if you provided tools for them, if you provided training for them, wow. if you told them go to this job site at this time and do this work in this way, how much you're controlling their work is going to be a huge part of what a court looks at. Um, how did you pay them? Did you pay them by the project or by the hour? Were they able to work for other people at the same time that they worked for your company? So there's a whole range of tests and um, of questions that you kind of have to ask yourself. And I, it, it would, I wish I could just say, here's the magic test. But if you're ever concerned, if you ever think maybe you've got somebody working 40 hours a week for you, you've provided the tools. And if you're starting down that road of really controlling their work, then you're better off calling them employees. Jen, so I'm curious. I, I always used to think, well, as long as they're doing X amount of hours per week for someone else, I'm safe. But there really isn't any kind of a rule with that, is there? That's not what I'm hearing. There's not. I mean, yeah, that's one, I mean, that's one of the things a court will look at is how much economically are they dependent upon your work for them as opposed to somebody else's work. Mm -hmm. But it, it can be very easy for a court to decide that that's just a moonlighting gig. 
right? So if somebody's working 40 hours a week for you and 10 hours for somebody else, the court might say that's moonlighting. And I've seen courts go down even down to 25 hours a week. You're their main uh, employee, your main sort of um, economic support system. And that's, that, that goes to this. One of the things they look at is the permanence of the relationship, right? So if you hire somebody, they're working 25 to 40 hours a week, but it's only for two weeks out of a year, you're probably pretty safe mm-hmm. on just that particular prong. But if they're working 25 hours a week for you for six months, seven months, yeah, they're working a little bit on the side, but they're, but they're really primarily dependent upon your work. Yeah, you're, you're getting a little closer to that imaginary line at that point. So let's say that somebody's been working for you for eight months and they're, they're working 25, 30 hours a week. They're main income comes from you. They file a workers' comp or an unemployment claim. What are we talking about could be the penalties to the business owner who did not treat them like an employee? Well, there's there's several there's several things, right? So it's going to depend on the state in which you're working. So state, state law runs the workers' comp and the unemployment um, uh, process, although there is a federal unemployment um, provision as well. But you probably, you might owe back pay to that person in terms of for their for their unemployment claim, not back pay, but future pay. And you also may owe penalties to the government for not treating them as an employee for whom you had to pay unemployment insurance. Uh-huh. And so that is actually one of the places where the biggest liability comes in for employers because unemployment insurance is a look back period of, depends on the state, but you know, sometimes four quarters, sometimes six quarters. And so if you haven't been paid, if you have somebody that's worked you eight months for your example, and you haven't been paying for two to three quarters worth of employment insurance, that could be a penalty that carries forward and increases the rate of your unemployment insurance going forward. So oh. that's a really complicated way of saying you, you sometimes sometimes what you're doing today will come to bite you two to three years down the road. Wow. And it'll be it, even if you're saving money in the minute, in three years you're going to wish you had just paid paid that the pennies that you could have paid in the in the current moment. Jen, I'm curious, actually, uh, probably more so in our area here, Baltimore, Virginia, Delaware, D.C. area, um, at least in in this type of environment, we're hiring people that don't live in the state because it's only a few minutes to cross the border. So do you need to worry about just where the work's being done or where they live? How does that work? That's a great question, Uh, and it depends on the particular law. So there are laws that um, there are laws that apply to employees based on where they are actually doing their work. There are going to be laws that apply based on where your headquarters is, and then there's going to be laws based on where there are residents. Wow! So it's going to really depend. Yeah, it's that's why it can be really complicated, particularly in the D.C. area where you've got so many states butting up against each other, or in any state where you're working near a border, you might need to pay attention to some laws. Um, in another state, usually, usually it's about where the where the individual is working. But that said, they could be employed by you, and you're sending them out to conferences. For example, you're not. There's a, this has to do with the ex, what's called the extraterritory extraterritoriality. I'm I'm not pronouncing that one right. Um, of uh, we can edit better that you one than out, me. Right? <laughs> yeah. we, we don't have to. Um, so it, it, just so you know, those words lawyers use that they don't know how to pronounce either. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's in there. Good. Same um, thing with remodelers. So, so that means you're human. <laughs> Your lawyers aren't all perfect. That's awesome. We're not. We are not. <laughs> well, let's jump to something else here for a second. So, you know, okay. every once in a while, will one of our one of our members will have to deal with a you know what they what we might 
euphemistically call the client from hell who decides that they're not going to pay. So let's say a remodeler's in the middle of a job and a client decides not to pay. Now, most of the time, we're hoping that they're working, they're billing ahead, so they're working with the client's money, but sometimes a mistake is made. They don't get that money ahead. When the client stops paying, A, what should the remodeler do? And B, can I can the remodeler stop paying the bills on that job until the client pays them? That's a great question. I get this a lot in in the construction industry uh, because it is so common that you have clients that will delay payment or they sort of make up some dispute or they legitimately have some dispute with the work and so they decide to withhold payment. And this is where the 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 Fair Labor Standards Act in particular and then state wage laws come come into play. So the the federal government says you have to pay people a minimum wage. State laws come in and can, that's basically what we call a floor. So you can't drop below that in terms of what you pay people. The federal law also says how much overtime and who earns overtime. It talks about that, that, sort of, um, that sort of issue as well. But state law on top of that can set a higher, uh, can go above the floor and say, all right, we're going to have a higher minimum wage, for example. And state law also says, you, most state laws say you have to pick a pay period. So whether that's you know, monthly or biweekly, um, it depends on the state. And then once you decide what your pay period is, you have to pay your employees on that pay period. You can't not, you can't skip that pay period. So you have some control in the front end if you want to make the payment um, monthly as opposed to weekly. Again, depending on the state, some states require biweekly payment. But so the long and the short is, is you have a client that's not paying your bills, you still need to pay your employees. And if you can't pay them for whatever reason, you need to pull them off the job. They can't be working because if they're working, they, um, they're owed pay. So, I mean, just a recent example with the federal government shutdown, there was talk about how essential employees were still going to have to work, but they weren't going to get paid. And the federal government in layoffs, in situations just like that with government shutdowns, has ended up owing those employees double and sometimes triple the amount that they earned because they weren't paid on their regular pay period. Wow. So those laws apply to everybody. One employee, federal employees, if your workers are working and you have a pay period set up according to state law, which I highly recommend you do, you should you need to pay them on that pay period. Okay, Jen. So let's say a remodeler, one of our members, fired an employee and then they received a, a, a charge of discrimination. What the heck is that and what do they do about it? Yeah, this is... Those are not fun to get in the mail. Um, so what happens, and you can get it from a current employee too. The, the the federal government has what's called the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, also known as the EEOC. Almost every state has a state sort of either human rights commission or uh, civil rights commission. And an employee, an aggrieved employee, can go to any one of those agencies and say, "This, my company, my employer wronged me, and I want to file what's called a charge," which means. They're saying to the agency, please investigate this and decide whether you agree with me that I was discriminated against on the basis of some protected class. So it can be religion, it can be gender, it can be race. I mean, there's so many, every state has the federal, there's five federal protected categories, but every state has, um, has additional categories. Wow. So what happens, yeah, there's a, it's a, there's a lot. And it can be either way. It's not just, so if it's gender, both men, men can say they were discriminated against as a man and women can say they were discriminated against as a woman. So woman. So basically it covers everybody. Any employee can walk into the EEOC and, and, um, and raise a charge. Okay. When you get a charge from a, a government agency, it's, it's going to be this like thick packet of paper that, that makes no sense to you. Um, and my advice, if you get one of those is, as much as you're not going to want to, is to read it and then read it again. 
because it's going to tell you what you need to know. It's going to tell you when you have to respond. It's going to tell you who you have to respond to. So the very first, I, it's the tendency I know with so many employers, I work with a drywall company where they, they got this notice from the government and they just round filed it. They were like, I don't even know what this means. I'm not going to deal with it. And then three days later, they had a knock at their door. That's a government agency. I should, I should have, that's not going to happen in terms of a charge response, but it will have a date to respond. It'll give you some options. So let's say you fired this person and you just want to be done with them. You know, maybe, you know, you made a mistake. Maybe, you know, you had an issue that you just, you'd rather not relive. Usually there's an option to settle in there. You can say, all right, they're saying this is how much money I want. And you can say, it's worth it to me to just pay that and be done. There's reasons not to do that. If you work in a small community and word will get out that all the people have to do is go to an agency and make a claim and you'll pay them. There's, I've uh-huh. had employers that have been sort of bitten by that in the past. Oh. Yeah. Then the other option is you can, you can give a response. You get to read what they say um, the issue was and you can write a response. Uh, you can do that yourself. You don't need an attorney to respond to a charge. I always think it's a good idea to consult with an attorney before you respond to a charge because sometimes you can say things in your response that aren't, aren't helpful for you and, yeah. and actually make it, can make it harder for you. Right. But, um, but usually, but again, re- read it, read it a second time. Make sure you know what your deadlines are. If you call me, for example, um, and any of your listeners are welcome to call me if they have a charge or a- any kind of employment issue. If you, if you, if you wait till the day before the response is due to call me, there's, it makes it a lot harder for me to do anything. Mm -hmm. Um, the second, the second tip I'll have is when you get a charge, essentially what you, what happened is that you've been put on notice that you might get sued. And so you need to not destroy any documents related to that employee. So, Mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying that you necessarily would, but you might, for example, have just a routine process of, of throwing away employees' files after a certain amount of time. Or, you know, if you have an email deletion program, you need to turn all of that stuff off. Or maybe you're about to get all new cell phones, and so you're going to get rid of the old ones. You could lose the text messages. So you, you, you should think for a second when you read it, what might I have about this, anything about this employee that I don't want to destroy? Because if you do destroy stuff, the agency can use that as an admission against you later. Uh, one third piece about that. Don't talk to anybody about it in the company. Cause I know it's really, it's really common really? to just be so frustrated. Oh yeah. I mean, small need to know, right? I'm not saying you can't talk to anybody. I'm saying be careful who you talk to in your company because anything you say can become an admission on your part. So if you, if you're on a job site when you get the charge and you start talking to all of the coworkers of this person about it, that could end up coming back against you. So just, Take a deep breath, read it, read it twice, and think about who is in, who can I talk to about this to strategize how we want to respond. That that is in like a man, more of a managerial level role. That's that's <laughs> that's some good advice because I probably would be one of those people that'll just start spouting off instantly. <laughs> oh yeah, everybody does it. Everybody does it. Everybody does it. Yeah, and it's it's you have to be careful. You have to be careful. While we're talking about me, so many many. Many years ago, I had a ownership stake in a remodeling company, and I did have a scenario where um, I had an employee that just was always had issues with another one, and they just really didn't get along. It was a field crew situation, so we just decided to kind of keep them apart. Put one guy on one job site, another guy on another job site. Now, I'm curious: is there anything wrong with that? Because I heard rumors that that might not be a good thing to do. Well, I, I think it really depends on the scenario. That's a that's a classic lawyer answer too. It depends. Really, it depends. You ask us for a straightforward answer, so I'm sorry about that. Um, it depends. If you if you have an employee that comes to you and says, "I I hate working with this guy," 
um, let's say, let's say you've got, let's say you've got a guy who's super religious. He hates swearing. He goes to the job site and the guys are swearing up and down. And he's like, I'm really offended by it. Right. And you think, ah, get over it. Like this is construction. You've got to like learn how to listen to some swear words. Right. <laughs> what you may have is an employee who has told you, I feel like I'm being discriminated against on the basis of my religion. So what, let's say the guys at the job site know that the person's really religious, know that this offends him and they are doing it intentionally. So they're not swearing elsewhere unless they see him. And then they start swearing. So you might have been told this employee might have been telling you I'm having this problem at work where I'm being, I'm actually being harassed on the basis of a protected category. Now, if you, that person who complained to you, if you think out of the goodness of your heart and as a beneficent employer, I'm going to move them to another job site. What you've just, just done is retaliated against them for telling you that they're having a problem. So if they file a charge and say I was discriminated on the job site, I told my employer, and instead of fixing the problem, my employer transferred me, that could be a problem. Okay. Now, that is not to say this is this is where people hate employment lawyers because it's like you did. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Mm-hmm. Whatever you do, you're in trouble. And I and it, so I think listening to your employees is really, really important. So if you've got an employee that's complaining about a job site, going out there, talking to them, talking to the other people and seeing what's going on. And if you have to separate people, it's always better to not move the person who complained. So uh-huh. that person stays where they are and you move the other people if you have to move them. Because then there's what's the there's no retaliation there. Uh-huh. So let's talk for a minute about if I have an employee or one of my our members have an employee that's just doing dumb stuff like showing up late all the time, you know, not calling in, not being available, things like that. They just want to fire them. They're like, you know. This guy knows he's late. This is bugging me. It's the 15th time he's done it. He's out of here. How should right. they approach that? Um, so in their particular instance of, I mean, it's your business. You can fire anybody you want. I mean, that's that's what I like to tell people um, is you can do whatever you want. The question is whether or not you want the lawsuit that might come down the line, right? Probably so not. Think, right. But don't think you can't fire them. The problem with um, people's lateness, right, is that courts, and this this might depend on the size of the of, your workforce. So the, the Americans with Disabilities Act um, only kicks in if you have 15 employees. 15. But 15 employees is, but it's based on, it, it looks back over the year. So you can have somebody that worked for 20 weeks, 35 hours a week, and they don't long, they don't longer work for you. So as you're counting your current employees, you have to count that person too. So um, you, you have to look over the year, how many people have we worked in all, uh, had working here in terms of number of hours. So, so it's not quite as straightforward. But if you have 15 employees and then state laws might be smaller, so you might have might be five employees that triggers this, it can be very problematic to have a, a, an absolute um, attendance type policy. Because if you have somebody who is having some kind of a medical issue that makes them, let's say they're oversleeping because they have to take some medication at night, um, and it, I know you're giving me faces, Victoria. I know this, this, this again. It's like, oh my is, God, really? I don't always have great news for companies. I know. It's the point is you have an obligation if you're put on notice that your employee has might have a disability. You have an obligation to try to just figure out if you can accommodate that mm-hmm. disability. So a, a, a zero tolerance attendance policy can get you in trouble because you're not giving the employee an opportunity to say to you, "Hey, I've got this problem." that I want to, you know, I, I want you, I need to come into work later because I have to take medication at night that makes it hard for me to wake up, for example. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have standards. You can, you can have a policy that says, 
it, you need to call in late. And, you know, you call in before you're late or, you know, let us know that you're going to be late. And you have three opportunities to do that before we're going to take corrective action. The point is, have a conversation before you fire. Say, hey, why are you late? You were late last week. I told you then you, that was a violation of the policy. And if they never say to you that they've got some kind of a medical issue, then you're fine because they're not, you're not on notice. Somebody being late is not, is uh-huh. not um, it, it's reasonable for you to have a standard that says you can't be late. The point is, ask a few questions before you fire and if you're not sure, give me a call and I'll help you talk, talk you through it and say, okay, okay what, what do we know about this employee? Do we have any indication that there might be an issue? So um, so the point is that you, you want to make sure your policies have some give in them. So your policies give you the opportunity to take into account people's, people's particular circumstances. This is fascinating stuff. Yeah, uh, Jen, this is <laughs> – my, my head's spinning right now. Yeah. I wouldn't – I wouldn't. Uh, you said people hate emp- employment attorneys. I don't know that I hate you, but I don't know that I like you very much either. <laughs> this is <laughs> – I won't take it personally. I won't take it personally. But listen, if you ever get sued, give me a call because you'll love me then. Yeah. I'll be your best friend for like, for like six months. I promise no you. You see, if my mom heard you say that, she'd be like spitting like – you're, you're putting the hex on me, the jinx. What are you doing? So, um, can I can I say one more thing though before we before we move off uh, before we move off this topic, which is having an employee handbook can save you miles and miles and miles of troubled roads. So if you if you don't have an employee handbook and you want to talk about one, give me a call because all so many of the things we've talked about, you can just by having a handbook and a policy in place, you can prevent. And and <laughs> at, at the very end of this, we'll be sure to tell everybody how they can reach you and I'll have it in the show notes and all that because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there listening right now thinking I got some work to do (laughs) yeah great well, uh, we could probably talk about this for hours, but um, uh, we've gotten to that part of the show where um, I need to publicly embarrass you how's that sound? okay (laughs) (laughs) and now, here's the Remodeler's Advantage Lightning Round it's a trap let's do this, okay What's your favorite business book and why? My favorite business book. Um, years ago, I read a book called Who Moved My Cheese? I think Johnson was the author. I loved it because um, it was just such a great and easy way to think about change in organizations and workplaces. And it's really quick and easy read. If you weren't an attorney, what do you think you'd be doing? Um, I would. So I would, before I was an attorney, I was a firefighter for 15 years. So wow. if I wasn't doing this, I'd, I'd still be running and burning buildings because wow. I love it. Very neat. <laughs> what are you not very good at? I can never remember more than two lines to any song except Happy Birthday without, yeah. Your room, your desk, or your car, which do you clean first? Probably my room. If you tried to fail at something and succeed... Have you failed or succeeded? Oh, boy. <laughs> if I try to fail and I succeed, have I failed? I think I'm going to go with success. I'm an optimist. It's all it's all good. Yeah. Always, always, don't be afraid to fail. There you go. There you go. <laughs> if you could get rid of any one state, which would it be and why? Oh, I don't know. Where do you guys have the fewest uh, clients? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good I'm answer. Not answering that one. Yeah, yeah. Good answer. Good answer. Okay. So if people want to reach you, how do they get a hold of you? Well, you can, anybody can give me a call. Uh, 612-305-7717 is my direct dial. If I can't answer, I'll call you right back. Um, I have an email. I can 
I imagine you guys can make it available. Yep, yep, we'll make, we'll do that. Yep. Um, I, if you mentioned that you heard me on this podcast, uh, I will make sure we I take good care of you. I always talk to people for free for a couple minutes, too, to make sure um, it's worth it to talk to me. Okay, so this has been awesome. People are going to love it. But before we let you go, I want you to give our listeners some advice with five words of wisdom. Five words of wisdom. All right, I'm going to give you one that my grandmother gave to me. She was uh, Belgian and lived through the Nazi occupation of France. I listened to whatever she said, and she told me to live more than one life. Live more than one life. That's awesome. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate you being here with us greatly, and we hope you get tons of calls from our listeners. Thank you again. Thanks, Jen. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Wow. I know, you know, I'm not sure if people are going to be excited about that or scared it's like wow so many things you got to watch out for right now all of a sudden you're thinking man i've I've, i'm really open to to problems yeah i'm glad all my employees love me Uh uh uh-huh i was taking notes don't you dare (laughs) so it's very interesting and we should all pay attention to this stuff because you know we all know of of people that have been sued by their employees, disgruntled employees, all that stuff happens. So we need to protect ourselves and protect our company, protect our other employees as well. So I'll tell you, one of the things that blew my mind was that, um, you know, there's the, the number of employees threshold, like 15 employees for X or 20 employees for Y. But the fact that it just counts how many you've had in the year. I so know. if you're like just going through uh, new hires, like, you know. Kleenex? Yeah. <laughs> I don't, can I say Kleenex? Did I just have to pay some <laughs> tissue. royalty? Tissue. tissue paper. Yeah. Tissue. If you're just rolling through uh, bad hires, you're, you're getting yourself into different brackets, aren't you? Yes, for sure. Yikes. Yeah, there's a lot to know in this area. So Yikes. hopefully this gives people a little tip of the iceberg on what they need to pay attention to. Yep. Well, another one in the can. Yeah, awesome. We're just rolling away, aren't we? I like them. Having fun. All right, well, this is Power Tips Unscripted. Thank you so much for listening. We love having you. Uh, Thanks again. I'm Mark Harari. And I'm Victoria Downing. Bye, everybody. This has been another episode of Power Tips Unscripted, the Remodeler's Guide to Business. Visit www.remodelersadvantage.com to learn more about Roundtables, our world-class peer advisory program. There you can also find information about our business consulting services, upcoming live events, and much more. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. It's a beautiful day.